if you don't know who you are, how can you be yourself with somebody that you love? Oh my gosh, that absolutely, so, absolutely. And I hear, it, I do hear from men that that um, maybe traditional, maybe stereotypical belief of, well, if she's using a, a you know a sexual wellness device, whatever it might be, vibrators or otherwise you know, then I'm obsolete. And that is so not the case. That <laughs> is an opportunity to, to build in the learning that she's had to share, like I said, or to use it together. And there's so many ways that it can really create playful, fun, less stressful, more satisfying experiences. And again, the, the partners that I've talked to, that's what they want for their wives or, or female significant others. They just want to make them happy. And if we can make that easier for them, that's like the best thing. To overcome, you must educate. Educate not only yourself, but educate anyone seeking to learn. We are all dead America. We can all learn something. To learn, we must challenge what we already understand. The way we do that is through conversation. Sometimes we have conversations with others. However, some of the best conversations happen with ourselves. Reach out and challenge yourself. Let's dive in and learn something right now. Today we're speaking with Dr. Robin Buckley. She is an author, a professional speaker, and a couples coach. She is the owner of Insights Group. Also, one of her books is Voices from the Village, Advice for Girls on the Verge of Adulthood. Robin, could you please introduce yourself and let people know just a little bit about you, please? Sure, Ed, I'd love to. So a lot of my work right now is in the speaking realm, and I love to get on stages and talk to people about relationships, mental wellness, and how to bring their mental wellness into their relationship. And most recently, that has included speaking on the topic of women's sexual health. Um, and that was certainly launched after my TEDx um, speech or talk was released uh, this past fall. And that was an excellent topic. And we're going to touch on that a little bit later on, because yep. that's another fascinating subject. But I want to get started on the couple's coaching and marriage, because it blew me away when I found out that marriage divorce rate in America, for the first time, 35, 50% failure rate, and second marriage, and beyond, 60 to 70 percent failure rate could you tell us what you think is going on there and why it's so high absolutely so much of life is we are taught to make a plan you know whether it's business whether it's finances whether it's actually creating a family in terms of having children it's have a plan but when it comes to our relationships we hope and wish that it works out without a plan. And I jokingly blame Disney and Hallmark as to creating just this idea that a relationship happens and then magically people stay together. 
but we would never do anything around business or finances where we wish and hope and pray. We would make a plan. I think my experience has been that couples go into relationships without a real plan. I hope that most couples have conversations about what they want, but there's no concrete discussion about communication, about what it looks like with the collaterals involved in their life, whether that be children or elderly parents they're taking care of or anything else, and actually create a business plan around their relationship. And that's what I try and help couples do so that their relationship is certainly love and sexual attraction, but those are the bells and whistles. And when they have a plan, that creates the foundation where the bells and whistles get better because they can fall back on that foundation. Yeah, I, from my personal experience, I, I know that the mind tells us it's going to be all bells and whistles and right. then reality hits. Yes. And that can really devastate. It throws us in many different directions. Uh longevity in a marriage it's really getting this uh wow you've been married that long yeah. and i i used to you know look at people married 50 60 years and go wow that's kind of cool but now i'm to the point where my wife and i we've been together 40 years married 38 and it's not bells and whistles. It's no, a lot of work, yeah. you know, because each of us are, we're, we pack our own baggage mm -hmm. and it fills our whole life. And sometimes sorting out the luggage and putting mm -hmm. it in our dresser drawers can be very difficult, especially right. when you're young, you know, yeah. because I didn't want to upset the apple cart with my wife when we were young and fresh and, you know, don't, don't do anything that might rock the boat because it's terrifying knowing the world is full of divorce. Yes. So yeah. how can we elevate people to understand it's work and it, it's not something to jump into. It, it took Two years for me to jump into it and and I knew it was going to be work because I experienced all of the negatives that I saw from my surroundings right how do we break that tradition yeah and and I actually changed the terminology around it Ed, if, and if you don't mind me sharing that so I move mm -hmm. away from the idea of marriage as work because that doesn't sound very fun. I don't know to you, but I mean, I love right, the work I do, right. but like when we say work, we're like, oh, but what I change it to is dedication. That any committed relationship takes dedication and it's a dedication that every single day you are going to give your best. Now that doesn't mean you have to be perfect every day. It doesn't mean that you're going to have off days, but on a given day, you are going to do whatever you can to contribute to that relationship, emotionally, sexually, physically, uh, psychologically, in all ways. And there'll be ebbs and flows, but you're dedicated to making sure that, that you give what you can on that, on that given day. And that means that when I talk to couples and they're like, well, each of us gives 50%. I'm like, well, that's terrible. Like you're only <laughs> giving 50%. You give 
whatever the most is. Maybe on a given day, it's 100%. Maybe on a given day, it's only 75. But you know, the next day, maybe it'll be better and it can change. But it it is both people saying, no, I'm going to give all I can every day to making sure this relationship works. Because you're not striving for perfection. You are just striving to maintain that dedication to keep that relationship solid. Well, you know, it's interesting, Robin, when we think about relationships and how they've actually changed just in my lifetime, uh, the traditional marriage, man, woman, and, you know, the fairy tale wedding, all of this. (laughs) And now we've got this more modernized relationship, family, and it's hard to recognize the difference at times. And I think there's a lot of confusion and people mad over whatever their reason is. I, I don't want to really get into that. But the what is the difference in in the need for a coach or a, a therapist in a relationship? Has there been a shift or a change and the way that is all handled? Right. So there, there is a distinct difference. And I appreciate the question because when we talk about couples therapy and couples coaching, those are two different processes. Couples therapy, which is what most people, when they, when they call me, they're looking for couples counseling or couples therapy. And, and that is really looking at past issues that are currently affecting the relationship. It's also looking at clinical issues. So I ask every couple that works with me, has there been current or recent significant loss? So a death of someone close, addiction, infidelity, or abuse. Those are clear clinical issues that need to be addressed in therapy through clinical treatment. Couples coaching is gonna focus on the present and the future of the relationship. So what's going on right now and what can we use that's working to create a plan for the future that, that's going to strengthen the relationship? And it also looks at what's not working so that we can correct it by using the strengths of the relationship. The model that I use really does have a very strong business framework. So we do a SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. We look at creating um, at, we look at creating and identifying the pain points so that we can create strategies to address those pain points. So it's a very different approach. Usually people who are coming in for couples coaching are in a rut or at the beginning of a relationship and they want to establish a plan and they want to get to that more satisfying, fulfilling relationship. Couples coming in for therapy are typically in crisis. And that's where the therapeutic model really can help them. And then if eventually they want to move to coaching, they can. Um, so it's a it's a very important differentiation to make in my field so that couples are clear what they're getting with the respective professional. So going back to the divorce rate, mm-hmm. what is, you work with couples, what are some of the reasons they give for giving up? Yeah. One of the biggest reasons, honestly, Ed, is that they don't evolve together. And where I often see it, and a clear example um, that I don't think a lot of, at least in heterosexual relationships, I don't think a lot of couples realize how common it is. But what, what I've seen typically is a couple gets married in their 20s, maybe early 30s. 
And then all of a sudden they're hitting their mid forties, fifties. So they've been married, you know, at least 10, 15 years. And all of a sudden the wife says, this isn't what I want. I, I want something different or I, I, this is what I want now. And very often the husband feels like the rug's been pulled out from underneath him. He's like, what, what are you talking about? Like, th- this is all news to me. And the wife will turn to me and say, I have been saying this for eight years but the communication is broken down or they're trying to communicate, you know, when one's rushing out the door to get one of the kids to soccer practice and the other one's rushing out the door to get them to dance practice. And they're not actually sitting down to have those really focused conversations about, hey, this isn't working. They try and have them on the fly. And that's where the communication breaks down because one either isn't communicating fully what's in their head. The other isn't hearing fully what's being communicated. And then all of a sudden they're at a point where they're just miserable. And often it's one party is miserable because they don't know what they're doing wrong. And the other party is miserable because they don't feel like they're being heard. And that ultimately, and that's what I always, um, I, I always feel bad for couples because I think that is a really resolvable situation if they come in early enough to get that help, if they don't wait until they're at that crisis time. Because if we can get it early, then we can create a plan around how to communicate better and how to adjust roles or change the delineation of titles in the household so that people are more satisfied, which means that then they can really give the best of themselves to the relationship. Yeah, so how important and how quick should you realize truth and boundaries in a relationship? Right. One of the things that I highly recommend for all the couples I work with is that they actually sit down. Certainly, it could be once a week, it could be once a month, and they actually do a review of their relationship, it, you know, an hour where they're concentrated on really doing an analysis, just as you would in business where you, I have couples establish KPIs or key performance indicators so they can track how are we doing around certain goals that they might have, certain pain points that they want to address? So again, in business, we wouldn't be like, oh yeah, it feels like we're doing well in business. We would never do that because that's not going to create a successful business model. But we do it all the time in our relationships. Like, oh, things feel better. I'm like, okay, but what's your data? What's your evidence that things are actually better instead of, oh, it just feels good on this given day. So having couples sit down because to, to your question, When you sit down on a regular basis and actually have a conversation that has clear delineators of progress or areas for improvement, then you actually can catch things before they get bad. But if you're hoping to, you know, wow, the once a year trip we take, we'll have these conversations. First of all, you're probably going to ruin your trip if that's when you're waiting to have these serious conversations. Second, maybe it's been a whole year since you've had this kind of very focused, concentrated conversation and that can create a lot of problems in a whole year time. Yeah, I found that very, very difficult at first communicating with my wife and being truthful about every aspect of our life. And right. and the tough one is sex and, you know, that intimacy, because yeah. we, we have this funny picture where society paints and it's not really always that way. And pornography in our world is really making one of those shifts where people are getting aware of it now. And they're actually seeing the women are being forced into these situations. And it's really not 
truthful and it's not reality. So how do we deal with that type of mentality in our world? (laughs) It's so challenging, Ed, as as you obviously Mm -hmm. are aware of. It's so hard because women have been taught, you know, to be a good girl or one of those girls. And Mm -hmm. there's none of that in between to say you can be a good girl and one of those girls in a committed relationship and, and whatever works for you and teaching particularly women, but certainly men too, to just state what they want. Hey, this is how I like it. Or this is what I'd like to try. And what are you open to? When I have this conversation with couples and somehow most of the couples I work with are always a little bit surprised when sex comes up and I'm like, well, this is part of a relationship. So of course we're going to talk about it. But a lot of times I'll have them come up with as part of one of their homework activities, what I call an ABZ list. And the A-list are things that in terms of physical connectedness or sex that they've done or that they both really want to try. That goes on the A-list. That's an absolute go-to list. The B-list might be things that they've done or they've thought about and they're both open to trying, but they're not sure how they're going to feel about it. So it's one of those like, well, a little experimentation and we'll see how it goes. And then the Z-list is like, not interested. This is definitely not one of those things I would ever want to try. And when you kind of quantify it in some, in where I guess it's qualitative categories, then it takes a lot of the questions out. And, oh, what if I do this? You know, how's he going to react when you've already had the conversation? So you know that at least in that conversation, he or she was saying, yes, I want to try that. Or yes, I want to do that again. Or don't, don't even think about doing this. So it takes the question out. And hopefully that takes out some of the um, shame, some of the the um, embarrassment, because you already know, okay, at least in our conversation, this is okay. And maybe when we try it, it's now a B or a Z list, but at least we have the initial conversation. And that's important to get past the stigma and these stereotypes that are just holding couples back instead of just saying, hey, this is what works. And, And especially with women going through menopause, like being able to have these conversations early in a relationship with their partner so that when menopause creates some of the physical and hormonal changes, there can be adjustments instead of society telling women, yeah, at a certain age, you're not going to want sex anymore. It's not going to be of interest to you. It's like, it doesn't have to be that way. That that certainly there are ways around all this and it can become still a healthy part of the relationship. Yeah, that's, that's solid advice. Uh, Let's talk about what you say is a relationship blueprint or uh, a mission statement for your relationship. Is it the same thing? And what do you mean by that? And what is the benefit of that? Right. Yeah. So just like in business, every business out there has a mission statement. Now, the ones that are ineffective are the ones that create it, put it on a wall, and nobody ever revisits it. But the majority of successful businesses, they bring it up in conversation, they, you know, business meetings, they revisit their mission statement. And a mission statement in business helps people keep, stay unified, focused on the same direction, and it, it, unite, it, it unites them, which is what I already said. And it does the same in a relationship, but <laughs> Ed, I've worked with lots of couples, and 99% of them do not have a mission statement. And the 1% that do, they don't write it down. They just have it in their heads. And when I ask a couple who randomly, if they do have one in their heads, I have them each write it down separately. And inevitably it's it's different because they've interpreted <laughs> it different as individuals. So I have couples write a unified mission statement and it 
it isn't just to post on their wall and ignore it. It becomes a dynamic tool. So every time they have their relationship business meeting, they look at their mission statement. It does it still apply? Is it still relevant? Does it need to be tweaked with our goals that we've set up? Does it align with the mission statement? But it keeps them connected. And the other thing I hear sometimes is, oh, we have a family mission statement, which is lovely. But the family didn't start until there was a couple. And the couple has to be the foundation for a family. And that means the couple has its own mission statement. So whatever the couple looks like, they become the foundation of the family. And then you can build the family off of them. So this business model that I use ideally creates objectivity and strategy for a couple. Whereas sometimes with therapy, it's more emotional, which very often gets in the way of thinking in an, in an objective strategic way about their relationship. Yeah. And it blocks communication along with exactly. that. Uh, I I've noticed Yeah, I'm really trying myself to be more sensitive when I actually speak to my wife about harsh matters, because sometimes you don't think about it and you just, as a male, yeah. uh, you just flap your tongue out there and you really don't put a lot of thought into it. So those words that we say mm-hmm. can hurt and devastate people. And myself, I know I don't want to ever see my wife in a bad way. It's just something I don't like seeing. And to know that I'm causing that it really makes it even worse because I've, I've put my wife through quite a bit until, you know, I was 40, 50 years old in that area is when I started really maturing and thinking about my relationship when I should have started thinking about it when I was 17 years old. And that period of not knowing how to communicate about how you're feeling, the quicker you get help at it and find if you are right for each other, don't let it drag on because that's really devastating. So understanding why you're together, it's Mm -hmm. important. Exactly, exactly. You, you don't work with the past, but the past always comes with people. Mm-hmm. How do you tell them up front, you've got to drop the past <laughs> to really spring forward? Yeah, I, I flat out say that there's one thing that we cannot change, which is the past. Anything that's happened in the past, if you can't move forward, if you can't leave it in the past, then again, therapy might be a better option. But we can change the of the, the present, and we definitely can change and and create the future that we want. But the past is unchangeable. So I have had couples, or one member of a couple, who says, "Yeah, I, I really need to dig into some of these issues because my resentment has built up, my frustration has built up, and I just am not ready to let it go." And that is an okay choice. It's also an important self awareness, but. If that's not necessary, if some, if they're like, yeah, there's been some crap that we have not been really proud of in the past, but we both are just ready to be where we are and get where we want to get to. 
that's really the important shift. And that's probably why I love, I used to do couples therapy and why I probably really love the couples coaching I do now, because it really is couples who are making a choice to be together and to do the homework and to be present so they can create the future that they want together. Um, that, that's been a really, I mean, for me, it's just really positive work because couples are choosing their relationship. They're choosing to stay together and dedicate time and energy to their relationship. We need more of that. And, you know, if we could get podcasts and things like this on television instead of some of the things that are on there, I think society would actually grow a little more because of the understanding, you know, if you're afraid to talk about what you've done and how you've come through it, you're not a bridge builder. And I, I really think what we're doing here today is bridge building uh, through your education and through life experience. Just talking can help people understand and possibly save a great relationship and make it even better. I agree. So let's shift into your TED Talk. And okay. uh, it's, it's basically you bought your daughter a vibrator and it's, it's better to understand your body through exploration at home instead of throwing yourself out into the world where you're really subject to who knows what. So talk to us about why you decided to do these things with your daughter and what did it feel like presenting this to the world? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, so and, and I cover a lot of it in the in the talk, but in in short, this was not something I planned. I mean, as as much as I I grew up in a very open household with a mom who was an OBGYN nurse, and and we'd have these candid conversations. It was never part of the plan to oh, when my daughter turns thirteen, I'll buy her a vibrator. But luckily, I created a relationship with with all my kids, but with my older daughter specific to the situation where she came to me and shared with me when she was starting to explore and to masturbate. And Ed, I, I, I can like the shift in my head. It was like a thousand questions. Like, what is she doing? I didn't know she was doing this. Is she old enough? Is she doing it safely? Like spin, spin, spin all through my head. And by the time the light changed red, because we were sitting in my car um, waiting for the light to change. When she told me, it was like, sh she needs to do this safely and she needs the right tool. And I use that reference a lot, the right tool. You know, when we got 12 inches of snow over the weekend, I would not have expected my husband and I to go out and use a shovel or like a little like like gardening tool to take care of the snow. It would have happened, but it would have taken a long time. It wouldn't have been as effective. We use a snowblower. Well, sexual wellness devices are not different. A lot of people will come to me and say, well, why didn't you just tell her to use her hand? I'm like, because there's a better tool. Why wouldn't I give her a better tool? Just because people and stigma in society have associated it with somehow deviance and then they're not they're tools to make sure at least in this case young women and adult women have a better way to connect to their bodies to own their bodies to be able to determine what they like and oh my gosh as the partner 
of someone who already knows what she likes, that's, in my opinion, a gift to be able to say, hey, don't waste your time. This is what works for me. And please do it this way. The men I've talked to and and the women who love women that I've talked to, they're so grateful when they're like, cool, I don't have to figure it out because women's bodies are complicated. You know, our, our sexual drive varies much more so than men's. Our the way our bodies react can vary from day to day, particularly during menopause, but can vary depending on stages of our life. So to be able to know what we like and then communicate it, going back to the communication we talked about is so essential. And when my daughter was ready, it just made sense. So it it still makes me giggle a little bit when people are like, so we're going to talk about your TED talk. I'm like, okay, <laughs> it'll be fun. <laughs> Because it isn't, it, 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 there has yeah. been a lot of controversy around it and I get it, but the controversy is because of, again, the stereotypes and the biases society creates about women's sexual pleasure and sexual wellness devices rather than what it really is, which is just, it's just part of being human. And why not learn about that? You know, we learn about our physical bodies. We learn about our mental self and we maintain our wellness in those areas and our sexual drive is all part of that. So that's where it really yeah. came from. Masters and Johnsons, uh, what was that in the 60s or 70s? 60s. You know, it's nothing new. And mm-hmm. it's very important to understand who you are. Yes. And, you know, the patriarchal subjects that have been around for so long you know they really haven't given the women the opportunity to discover who they are right and i think it's so important because if you don't know who you are how can you be yourself with somebody that you love oh my gosh absolutely absolutely and i i do hear from men that that um maybe traditional maybe stereotypical belief of well if she's using a, a you know a sexual wellness device whatever it might be vibrators or otherwise you know then i'm obsolete and that is so not the case that <laughs> is an opportunity to to build in the learning that she's had to share like i said or to use it together and there's so many ways that it can really create playful fun less stressful more satisfying experiences and Again, the the partners that I've talked to, that's what they want for their wives or or female significant others. They just want to make them happy. And if we can make that easier for them, that's like the best thing. Yes, that's true. You know, and I I really think the hypersexualization in our world has really devastated us in our pleasure realm and our capacity for relationship uh, i i don't see a turnaround for all of the hypersexualization that we see everywhere and yet it's so strong on so many of our emotions and our feelings and i i really feel confused about how to go forward in a world that's so hypersexualized, where it is affecting children in a negative way. What what's your thought on that? And how can we make that shift from awareness so it's not so 
flamboyant. Right, right. So it was funny because I, I was just at a, um, a meeting this morning with some women and we actually had this conversation and there's mm. a lot of great research and a lot of great examples of how to do this. And Norway, we, we, we thought it was out of Norway. Mm. They do a lot of early sex education, like with kids as young as four. Now, of course, Ed, we are talking about developmentally appropriate education so that right. you're not you're not exposing four-year-olds to the full extent of, of what this might look like in the sexuality spectrum. But you're introducing topics of safe touch versus not safe touch. And you're letting yes. them start to claim their bodies from a very early age so that it's not, you know, it's not that all of a sudden in middle school, we're getting the talk, which is way too late. And, and really so many things can happen before that. And again, build those con- concepts in their, in their brains before they even get up. That's right. Talk. So, you know, looking at models of how it's done in different places in the world, the Unitarian church, and I'm not a religious individual, but they do an amazing program called the OWL program. And I always forget what the acronym stands for, but again, sex education, according to developmental level from early on all the way through high school and in a way that it is just open and and you know answering questions again according to children's development and and cognitive ability to process information there's some great great opportunities out there you know within our country within the world and if we could just start applying it but as soon as you know this as soon as sex sexuality sex education comes up people stiffen up and all of a sudden you know just start to backtrack instead of just saying let's just have a conversation and see how we can make this better again what's the plan for making this better because it's not working the way it is yeah it's uh one of those things when when we take the initiative to understand our world our world gets better and i I find it odd that we can let these things go to an extreme but yet not realize what it does to us yeah and and it's not only sex that we do this with it's other things you know uh our mind always tells us the negative first and and it's really we have to reel that in and put reality into what we've already learned from past experiences. And, and it's devastating what we let ourselves do if we're not ready to subject ourselves to, hey, you might be doing this wrong. Right. Because a lot of the times we find out we are doing things wrong. And yeah, we, we need to look at opening up and doing a scientific study and keep those studies going because that's how we evolve as a society. It's funny that you Do you say- have any... Oh, go I was going to say it dovetails with that other area that I'm uh, that I, I I speak on from my background, which is mental wellness and how to how to I use the phrase how to make your brain your ally versus your adversary because our brains will just oh, go yeah. to the habits and to the negativity because our brains are lazy organs. Their, their sole job is to keep us alive. Yeah. It doesn't want to expend yeah. additional resource to learn something new or see something differently unless we tell it to. And so often, and when we're talking about relationships, people will get fixated on what's bad and, oh, we're in this rut and things are so miserable. 
And your brain's like, oh, okay, I'll give you all the examples of what you just told me to look for. Instead of saying, okay, things are challenging, but here's the good stuff in our relationship. Here are the things I appreciate you about you each day. And I talk to couples about priming their brains to see the good, not to put their heads in the sand about the challenges, but there, as, as you referenced, there needs to be a balance because we wouldn't just eat candy all the time without our carrots. We need to have that balance. We can have both and process both from a physical level and at a mental level. We, we know the negativity is out there, but there's also positive stuff. And to have that balance is what really creates that, that sense of wellness. So Robin, tell us what you are working on and what you like to work with like what type of couples or people that you work with and how does your uh company interact with people is it personal or via skype anything like that right so it depends so my company is actually a psychological and coaching uh firm so i have traditional therapists who do some amazing work uh using cognitive behavioral therapy and then i have coaches who each have their specialization with with me being one of them my individual work with couples is typically done over a zoom based or a similar platform like zoom because my couples are international so it works in their schedules and it works for different time zones I do have a few couples that I work with in person in New Hampshire, but most of it is done uh, in the convenience of their homes, around their schedules, and they can easily find me on my website, which is just drrobinbuckley.com, and the couples that are the most fun to work with are the ones that just want to be together and want to make the changes and are ready to make the changes. So the ones that are coming in, not believing that this is going to be like, oh, the last ditch effort before we get divorced. That's that's too late for couples coaching. The ones that are like, yeah, things are not as good as we we know they can be or we want them to be. So this is our time to do the work. Those those are the ones that are that see really good progress pretty quickly, and I love that. Very fascinating. Uh, do you have a call to action for our listeners? Sure. If one of the things that I do with every couple um, is I typically walk them through a values inventory. And it usually is part of, again, a session that I do with them. But if couples want to go to my website and find that values inventory, it's a great first conversation. And they'll actually interact with me uh, through email because it's a five-step process. But it gives them a better sense, again, because most people are like, I know what my values are. I'm like, okay, tell me them. And it's hard for people to be able to list them off. And this is a concrete activity to really remind people what is the thing, what are the things that are most important to me? What it doesn't mean is if your values are not identical to your spouse, you need to get a divorce. No, it just means that it helps have the communication about what drives me and where is my focus and how can we dovetail our values if they are different. Awesome. And one more time, the best way for people to get a hold of you. Sure. They can go to my website, drrobinbuckley.com. They can also find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, and thanks to my children, TikTok. <laughs> yeah, that TikTok, it's it's <laughs> something else. It's growing. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how long it might be in the United States. But for now, that's one of the other platforms I'm on. Yeah. Dr. Robin Buckley, you're fascinating. You're doing great work out there, and it's very needed in our world. Couples need someplace to get some advice. Uh, so thank you so much for being here today, sharing with us and being part of the family. 
Thank you, Ed. It was really a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. If you found this podcast enlightening, entertaining, educational in any way, please share, like, subscribe, and join us right back here next week for another great episode of Dead America Podcast. I'm Ed Waters, your host. Enjoy your afternoon, wherever you may be.